Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, Series 2, Episode 1, Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders, with Dan Davala, President of the Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders and Fishing Manager at the Orvis Clarendon Store in Virginia. So first, uh, Dan, let's talk about uh, you. How long have you been fly fishing? Uh, well, I picked up fly fishing when I was 14, so uh, I am 33 now, so uh, I'm closely approaching or past that point where I've been fly fishing for more than half of my life anyway. So um, so a good long while now, I guess about 18, 19 years, and um, when I picked it up it really wasn't for any re- reason other than it looked like fun, and uh, and it stayed fun for that whole time, so I just it's my favorite way to fish. How long have you lived and worked in the northern Virginia area? Uh, well, I guess I'm one of those rare natives now because uh, I was born in Fairfax Hospital and uh, so was my wife and our little girl. So uh, we've been here for uh, our lives so far. So I always kind of joke and say I didn't know we didn't have uh, awesome fly fishing in the area until somebody told me. Because to me, I've I've always had a great time running around fishing the waters all around here. How long have you been a member of the Federation of Fly Fishers? Uh, I joined up with the FFF about, um, I guess, pretty close to three years ago. And my interest at that time was in pursuing the casting instructor certification which has been a, a wonderful process for me but um, uh, it was prior to that I didn't have any affiliation so um, so I guess a lot of this club and this group and everything has grown out of out of that initial membership and that was only about three years ago how long have you been educating anglers on the tidal Potomac uh, well I suppose since I started working up here at the Orvis store in uh, in Clarendon in Arlington, because the the very first day and the first week that I got here, the the standard theme that I would hear all the time from customers I was getting to know them was that they didn't fish as much as they would like to, and it became very clear that the reason that they didn't fish as much as they would like to is because they generally fished far away, uh, an hour and a half, two hour drive to some of the trout streams. 
and naturally that requires an entire day's commitment for the most part if you want to go out and fish for any time so people were just having trouble finding that amount of time with work and family and other obligations and it just didn't seem to have occurred to them that they could fly fish right here in the Potomac River right in view of uh, uh, a lot of the famous monuments and um, so that's where it kind of started I started uh, telling people kind of about how you break this river down into fishable pieces and um, it's grown from there so it's one of my favorite one of my favorite topics and some people may know you as the the bearded guy that's your common name up and down the river um, did you go to Orvis yeah who'd you talk to the guy with the beard um, you've had your photograph in uh, the FFF uh, magazine and you're holding your daughter on your chest on those little baby holders you thought about marketing one of those maybe like a baby holder chest pack fly fishing vest <laughs> I think it's a great idea, but I think that of the small niche market that fly fishing really seems to be that the, the greater, smaller niche of people that fly fish with their babies would be probably prohibitive to, to making a product designed for it, but I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody and give my recommendations for which baby carriers uh, work best and, and, and uh, what to look for in one to, that's good for fly fishing, and for what it's worth now... Uh, Little Virginia's going on 20 months old, so she's in the backpack carrier now, and uh, she's been hanging over the water in one form or another since uh, she was a month old, so it's pretty normal for her. And I'll try and include that photo on uh, my website for you guys. All right, so let's talk about the club, TPFR for short, Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders. What's the background of FFF, its goals, and its mission? Um, well, of the Greater Federation of Fly Fishers Organization, um, it's really the only, um, it's unique in that it's the only specific, fly fishing specific uh, national organization that, that basically promotes uh, the teaching of and educating anglers through fly fishing and fly tying and fly casting. And um, in some places, in some regions, and in some clubs, it's, it's more bent on conservation than on others. But I really personally feel like its strongest suit and what it has going for it is, um, is its education focus. And that is, as I said, in, in educating people how to fly fish, how to cast, uh, fly cast, and tie flies, and and uh, I think that what the FFF has found is the more people that get interested in fly fishing, they naturally become interested in conservation uh, purposes. And, and there's a lot of wonderful conservation organizations that people who are members of FFF are also members of, such as TU and uh, CCA. So, uh, but the, the I would say that its goals and missions primarily are to educate people through fly fishing and, and teach as many people as possibly uh, are interested in, in giving it a try. You created the local FFF club, which is the TPFR. How long has the club been around? Uh, well, it's easy for me to keep track of because I started it two weeks before Virginia was born, so it's been around for 20 months. And um, so it's almost two years old at this point. We have uh, online, we have nearing 500 members, about 496 or 97 as of this morning. Um, though I'm certainly aware of the fact that there are a lot of people that follow the club, follow the website, even in different regions um, of the country, there are people that look into it, and I've been contacted uh, by others in that way. But um, So I'm not sure exactly how many people use the resource, but I know that there's uh, just about 500 signed up online, and um, of that, probably uh, a strong portion, at least a third or more, uh, have gone ahead and committed and joined the Federation of Fly Fishers, and that's the only thing we really ask, because we don't have specific club dues. We just um, want to point people towards the Federation of Fly Fishers. And what is the mission of TPFR? Well, it's pretty simple, really. It's to, um, it's to shine the, the spotlight and draw attention to the fly fishing that we have in the um, Potomac River right here. It's the nation's river. It's, uh, it's in one of the, uh, arguably one of the more important cities in the uh, country. And there are a lot of people that move to the city uh, for one reason or another, but generally for work or government reasons. And um, it's just, it's depressing every time I hear it that somebody moves to the area and hasn't fly fished in six or seven years since they moved here because they came from somewhere like Colorado or somewhere out west and, and they just didn't think there was something to do. So, so the mission overall is to, is to uh, uh, let people know and wake people up to the idea that there's not only fly fishing to be done, but there's excellent, and I call it world-class fly fishing because of the length of season that we can target fish and of the wide variety of of fish, including anadromous, wild anadromous fish that we get in this river, 
So um, that's the overall mission is get people to fish more often, uh, most people want to, and to do so by having them fish right in their own backyard, right here in a river that they may have driven over a million times and never thought to throw a fly in. Um, the only other thing I'll add to that is, as an overall mission though, as I said, a lot of these people are from other areas um, and, and will be, we'll be relocating many times to other areas and I hope that the influence that they have here through Tidal Potomac Fly Riders causes them to uh, forever more take a different look or look, look through a different angle at um, fishing opportunities no matter where they end up because sometimes there's some unbelievably good fly fishing hiding right in the middle of a city. So uh, it's an overall perspective thing as well. What are your future goals, short-term and long-term goals of the club? Um, those are good questions. The uh, uh, in the short term, uh, I'm I'm really looking at uh, uh, coming up in the spring. It's been a big goal of mine to to put together a regional spay clave. We'll talk more about spay casting and two hand rods in a little bit. But um, there's there's been no such uh, type of event in our region, so people have to drive uh, five to ten hours or more to get to such an event, and so um, that's coming. Uh, April 23rd, this coming year, 2011, we're going to put together the first D.C. area spay casting clave or gathering. Um, but beyond that, uh, I, I've, I've been enjoying uh, growing the club through more events. Uh, we're definitely very active in local, local fly fishing events, and we put on our own as well. Um, we're looking at setting up uh, some, some fly tying events at local bar and grill areas, so uh, those are short-term, very soon actually. And long term, uh, I, I'm really looking to put together a uh, uh, something of a regional casting club, not a not a club in an, uh, inside the club, but I'm saying similar to what you see out in San Francisco. So a a large scale uh, area where local fly anglers and regional fly anglers can get together and um, and improve casting and maybe hold events. What do you want the members of TPFR to gain from being a part of the club? Um, well, first and foremost, I hope they gain a different perspective. I mean, that's the perspective I was just talking about a minute ago, where it's a it's a matter of, of maybe maybe taking a second look at that at that river that runs uh, near your home or wherever you're from, just to just to not necessarily always consider the greener grass and some of the known destination places to go fly fishing but but be thankful for the fly fishing that you have right nearby um so i hope that i hope that people gain that perspective first and foremost because most of the people that end up going out and trying uh fishing with a fly out here in the potomac fall in love with it pretty quickly because they're amazed at, at the variety and, and the challenges it exposes them to um but beyond that i hope that they learn to fish in a in in different ways that they maybe expand the horizons a little bit. Some people come to it from just trout fishing and have never fished for bass even, let alone uh, saltwater or striped bass fishing. So um, uh, I, I hope that people are exposed to fly fishing in more forms than, than necessarily just trout fishing. And that, it, that for those that tie flies, that it expands their fly tying. Uh, and also, I mean, probably most importantly, that people really learn that there's a there's a lot of great camaraderie to be had to um, not necessarily going out and fishing in groups all the time, but but getting involved with the local fly fishing community and uh, realizing that it's wonderful just to be around people of like minds and passions and uh, maybe change that sort of common perspective that that uh, people always want to fish solitary and be away from other anglers and don't and they'd like the river all to themselves and here. I like seeing people learn that it's a it's a lot of fun to fish with other people and to share your knowledge and experience. So um, we're kind of kind of against the grain in that way. Earlier, you noted that you'd like all the members to be members of the Federation of Fly Fishers. Um, do you know how many of our members currently are? I, I don't have an exact count because it's been a while since I've followed up on it, but. Um, I think there's at least 125 to 150 of the 500 that have joined FFF, and uh, so this will be a little plug for those of you that haven't yet to go ahead and send FFF your 35 bucks and just join the organization. Um, you get their uh, uh, magazine and um, uh, you're on their e-newsletter and, and whatnot, but the reality is uh, it's, it's not a gigantic organization, and uh, so it's not 
just trying to make money for making money's sake. It, uh, that money gets put into the casting programs. It gets put into grants to other clubs and whatnot. Um, but it's just it's the cost of, of being an organization in this day and age. So so uh, that's the only thing we ever ask of people is that they go ahead and sign up with FFF and, uh, and, and join. You can join as a family membership. My wife and I do. And that's um, that saves a few bucks. But, uh, but anyway... Uh, I'm not sure exactly the total count. I'm optimistic that that it'll grow after this, but uh, but anyway, that's we don't really police it very much. We just we just tell people kind of on the honor system that if you're gaining something from this club, to uh, give back by contributing your knowledge to the club as well, but also um, to go ahead and and uh, sign up with FFF. How can one TPFR member identify another on the water? Well, that's easy. We all run around with our dragonfly uh, beer cozy lanyards. So no, no matter what time we're on the water, we always have our beer cozy lanyard. Nice plug. <laughs> that's a plug for uh, for Rob's dragonfly product, the beer cozy lanyard. And uh, I'm a recent recipient one uh, of one, and I'll put it to use. But uh, anyhow, um, there's uh, there's so well, a few of us have hats because we did put some hats out this year, and so there are some nice hats with the logo on. Logo designed by Todd Kim, which is a wonderful logo. Um, and we're looking at putting together more product like that. But the reality is, I would say there's a strong chance that if you run into another fly angler on the tidal Potomac River, that they are either a part of the club or need to be. So. Uh, if you see another angler f- fishing out there with a fly rod, then without going in and encroaching in their space, go and chit-chat a little bit. You'll probably find that it's somebody you already know through the club forum. And if not, then uh, they need to know about it. So um, I- I'd be surprised if if more than a handful of fly fishers out there that fish out there regularly aren't members already. How can listeners learn more about the club? Uh, well, you can go to our website, and our website is pretty easy to remember. It's tpfr.org. I'm sure Rob will link that on the site. Um, and off of that, we don't have tons of information up, but we have enough to uh, kind of give you an idea of what we're doing. And uh, we're building on it constantly, and this winter will be a very productive time for us to uh, make some serious improvements to the group. And then click on the forum. Uh, one of the more important features of the group, and probably where it's most active, is on the online forum, which is a very simple Google group format, so it's easy to sign on to and it's easy to interact on. Um, one of the things I encourage any new members and even members that have been around for a long time uh, to do is to get on that forum and use the search uh, feature. There is a search bar and it's powered by Google so it works very, very well. And put in anything in that search bar you could possibly be curious about out here. Type in things like striper, catfish, spay casting, uh, FFF, whatever it is you could possibly think of that's fly fishing related anyway and type it into that search bar and see what comes up because we've made close to 4,000 posts on uh, fly fishing information mostly based on fishing right out here in this river. So it's uh, not that we won't cover and recover topics over and over again because we will, of course, but chances are uh, we've probably tossed most things around so far. So use that search bar and um, go to town on it. Uh, think of anything you can possibly put in there and... and uh, that's one way to benefit from the from the database we've put together through the forum. Yeah, I was on last night. Um, about a year ago, we started the topic of New Year's resolutions for 2010. So I wanted to go on and see uh, if I'd accomplished all those. And it didn't <laughs> take too long for me to find it. So I haven't accomplished mine. I know that one of mine was a false albacore from shore. And uh, I didn't even see one from shore this year. So uh, Though I was in a couple places where I might have. but uh, So those will have to carry over. Right, let's move on to talking about the river, uh, Potomac River. Can you define title for the title of Potomac? Sure. Um, technically, the uh, it, any river that, that links up to a larger body of water, such as the ocean, or in our case, the Chesapeake Bay, uh, if that large body of water has and experiences high and low tides, then the rivers that feed it will also uh, experience some of that tidal fluctuation. So, um, so a tidal river, by, by definition, is, is, is a river that, that has demonstrable high and low tide periods. Um, the tidal Potomac River, for our purposes, is basically from Little Falls on down to the bay. And Little Falls is just above Chain Bridge, so pull your map out and take a look. That's what we're talking about. And Little Falls is what's called the fall line here. So that's the area where there's enough gradient 
that the tide can no longer act upon the river, can't push can't push water up that gradient or up those rapids. So Little Falls is the tide line for us, and from Little Falls down, the tidal Potomac River experiences too high and too low tides every day, and sometimes those tidal fluctuations are as much as four feet. So it's difficult to observe that when you're just sitting on the bridge uh, crossing over to D.C., though, as those of you in the area know, you might be able to sit on that bridge long enough to see an entire tide cycle, sometimes with the traffic. But um, anyhow, about they're about six hours and 30, six hours and 45 minutes apart. Uh, they go by the lunar, lunar clock, so they're not exact time periods. It's always changing day by day. Uh, but uh, that's, the, that's, that's what makes this river so unique, is that we get high and low tides every single day. That concentrates currents in different areas. That concentrates bait fish and, therefore, game fish in different areas. And it become, becomes part of the challenge uh, and, and part of the uh, incredible experience of fishing this river that we have because uh, definitely those fish out there orient to these tides. And, and learning something about that will help you understand tides in general and also how better to approach your saltwater fishing and... and uh, so our, our tidal Potomac River is from Little Falls on down. And we do consider kind of part of our, our I don't want to say territory, but, but where we define our club's focus from being from Great Falls down. And the stretch from Great Falls to Little Falls offers some great fishing, but is non-tidal. Though Great Falls is the natural barrier to anadromous fish such as stripers and shad. They can't get any higher than that. So we sort of roped it on into our tidal Potomac uh, region. And I'd highly suggest using the tide charts online. If you've got uh, smartphones or iPods, there's the Tide app, which is pretty handy. When I got a smartphone, that was like the most used feature for me <laughs> all summer, was Tide app. Okay, um, let's talk about the biodiversity of the river, the, the different fish that inhabit the waters that we fish. Well, um, I'm certainly no marine biologist or fish biologist. Uh, I know a few, but uh, I'm not one, so... There are fish out there that I've never seen or heard of just yet, and um, and I'm sure that that there's some strange, odd catches that are tough to identify. But the primary um, primary fish species we target on a regular basis are, of course, largemouth and smallmouth bass, striped bass. Uh, we can talk more about them shortly. Uh, hickory and American shad during the shad run in the springtime. Um, we target carp throughout the year. We target catfish of several varieties, all on fly rods, mind you. And uh, there are some pretty large gar approaching five feet long that are out there that are fun to throw flies at anyway, but it's difficult to uh, get one to take. Um, but so there's gar of, uh, of uh, a few varieties and sizes out there. And um, of course, a wide variety of sunfish and panfish, uh, crappie and white crappie, and, uh, or white and black crappie and uh, uh, lots of different kind of what I've always lumped into generic bluegill, but but um, sunfishes of a of a wide variety. There's even been um, uh, people have caught ornamental goldfish and koi out there. Um, so it's amazing. There are a lot of fish that have been released into the river that don't belong there. And uh, one of the things that uh, is of recent and of great interest is the snakehead. So we target the snakehead as well with fly rods. They're harder to catch than you think. They haven't proliferated to the point that they've taken over the ecosystem in any way. A lot of people feel that they won't. But the thing I'll take this opportunity to remind everybody of is one of the large concerns about the snakehead doing damage out there is what threat it poses to the bass population. And I always like to remind people that the largemouth bass were introduced to this river system in 1854. And what that means is they were not actually native to this river. So at one time... The largemouth bass was introduced into this river just like the snakehead was, and the largemouth bass has prol proliferated to the population that it now has out there. And it's a wonderful bass fishery, and it has been for a long time. But just a reminder that that fish was at one time a non-native and technically invasive species when it was put in, because it definitely uh, marauded the local fish population once it was in there. So, that said... We didn't have a hand in stocking anything here, natural, native, or otherwise, so we just fish for all of it. If it's got gills and fins, we'll fish for it, and I think even gills are an option. People down at the tidal basin will stop me, the tourists, and say, what's in here? And I'm like, do you have five minutes? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I didn't even mention white perch and the other per well, yellow perch. I mean, it's um, it's it really is such a diverse fishery that... Uh, 
I like telling people as well that if you've got anything from a two weight to a ten weight, single or double hand, doesn't matter. You can put it to use out here, and um, and, and just what I mean by that is the wide range and wide variety of fishing, of flies that we fish with, of of um, different types of water we fish out here. It's just it's really an angler's paradise, and there's actually parking lots and and uh, bike trails and all sorts of access. So we've got we've got un an unbelievable amount of accessible fishing right here. It's time we all start taking advantage of it. I had a client catch about an 18-inch needlefish on a squirrel-haired beadhead nymph last summer, <laughs> and that was just he couldn't believe it. Needlefish are tough to catch. Um, they smell so bad. They yeah they some of them can be pretty stinky, but they uh, they have that very long. Uh, bony mouth with lots of teeth and they're very very difficult to set the hook in the corner of the jaw I, I've, I've caught a few and um, and I can attest to the fact that they're fun to watch them attack the fly over and over again but um, tough to hook not fun to unhook them either and <laughs> thing bit me okay uh, moving on so uh, talk about the seasons of the Potomac you mentioned earlier that it's almost a year-round fishery um, what about the different seasons specific fish that are targeted more so than others yeah, uh, I say it's year-round simply because I fish out there year-round. So that doesn't mean that the fishing is outstanding all year-round. It just means that you physically can go out and fish that the, that the river doesn't fully ice over. I mean, I suppose some years it has, but but you can almost always find places that are not covered by a sheet of ice. Um, there are a variety of power plants and water treatment plants that discharge warm water. So those become the... Um, uh, figurative and literal hot spots in the winter time, so there's still fishing to be done near them, and um, uh, there's there's still uh, productive fishing. When I mean, we target carp right into uh, January and some of the tributaries and um, uh, and and bass as well, so there's a lot of different a lot of different possibilities, a lot of different options, and if nothing else, it's always nice to go out and fish and cast and and uh, even go out just to practice and maybe catch a fish or two. So we do fish year-round, but I would say that the real fishing begins in March. Uh, middle of March is usually when we start seeing the first run of shad uh, and white perch. So the white perch and the hickory shad are usually the first ones coming up. Of course, there's herring uh, of, of a few species up early, but not usually are they going to take, take the flies the way that, that hickory shad do. So a lot of us are out fishing early in March and hoping to get the first ones in the middle of the month, and we usually do. And from there, that fishing progressively picks up to an incredibly good productive shad fishery of American shad and hickory shad that go on from uh, beginning of April through the first week or so of May. And with them come the striped bass on their spawning runs, and so that's a time to target uh, striped bass when they're up in the river. Um, always check the local seasons for when when the actual sport fishing season for striped bass start. Otherwise, until until it's um, uh, legal to keep the fish, it's a catch and release only, barbless hooks only for striped bass. But uh, but they they start their spawning run in the early spring as well. And from there, once the shad and striper fishing winds winds down, at that point we start targeting the. Uh, Largemouth and smallmouth bass throughout the river. In June, usually there's a tremendous um, uh, catfish bite going on, blue catfish and channel catfish. And it's amazing how many people just stick to the old assumption that catfish are just bottom feeders and eat junk off the bottom. And the reality is most of us think that because that's the only way we ever fished for them before. And um, I, I, I assure you that if, if people were not throwing... Uh, chicken livers and clam snouts down on the bottom of the river, those, that wouldn't be available to those fish, and they eat other things. And one of the things that they do is they're predatory fish, and they eat bait fish just like a lot of our other game fish do. And there are a lot of times throughout that early summertime where you will see large balls of bait all, all um, herded and corralled up, and big game fish taking swipes at them, and it's always been the assumption that that's striper or a, a different type of bass or something, but Cast a fly in there, you're going to find out. That's blue catfish and channel catfish. They have a lot of the same predatory behaviors that, that any good game fish does. So we target them extensively through those months. And then um, through the summertime, we chase resident stripers and uh, the largemouth and smallmouth bass, catfish. Uh, carp fishing is wonderful along the CNO Canal and in the uh, tidal basin and in all the tributaries around. And that carries us right through until fall. And in the fall, the... Uh, Many of the one, two, three-year class and resident striped bass uh, 
go on the feed when the bait fish leave the shallow waters. So once the water temperatures drop, the uh, striper fishing really lights up. And we have some good striper fishing right through December. This year hasn't been so good, but um, but it's a it's an incredible striper fishery that we have out here. One, one that people just seem to not be as aware of as they should be. Very informative. So the next question, this is a, a sticky topic. Um, gets asked a lot uh, on the message board and just from people uh, that you bump into in parking lots. Um, Tide of Potomac flows through three jurisdictions, two states and one district. Uh, what type of license is required to fish from Maryland, D.C., or Virginia? Okay, good question and an important one. Um, if you're going to fish the area right in D.C., and we'll define that as from just above Chain Bridge to right below the Woodrow Wilson Bridge, then you need a DC license and that's the only one that you need and that's the only one that will be accepted. So that is technically DC water. It doesn't matter which side of the river you're fishing from, Maryland, DC, or Virginia. If you're fishing between those two points I just said, then you need a DC fishing license. The good news is that it is finally, as of last year, available online so you don't have to go through all the process we used to to, to find them and purchase them. So now you can get them online and that's linked to our Tidal Potomac Fly Riders website. And uh, also the good news is that it'll only cost you 10 bucks for the year if you're a DC resident, and if you're not a DC resident, it's 13. So it's arguably the best deal in town uh, on anything. That's a year's worth of terrific fishing in some wonderful water uh, right, right downtown DC for $13 annually. Uh, as soon as you get above or below the two kind of demarcation lines that I stated, um, that's above Little Falls or below the Wilson Bridge, then you need a Virginia or a Maryland license, and there is reciprocity, they are a reciprocal license, so it means that you can fish above or below with either, um, but as soon as you go up into the tributaries, for instance, if you go up a Maryland tributary, then you need a Maryland license for that watershed. If you go up a Virginia tributary, such as Little Hunting Creek or Doe Creek, then you need a Virginia license, and those are where some, some, some of the lines are not so clear. So. That's kind of getting into the long answer. Um, what I suggest to people is if you live in Virginia, then buy yourself a D.C. and Virginia license. If you live in Maryland, buy a D.C. and Maryland license. Uh, and you should be covered through the main stem of the Potomac uh, for many, many miles of good fishable water. Thank you. How can anglers find some good spots to fish? You've got the huge map here on the wall. Um, there's also a Google Maps link on the website. Um, any other references you'd suggest? Yeah, well, um, I want to highlight the Google map on the website because that was a, a member of ours, Justin, um, put that map together. And actually, he started putting that together out of his own curiosity because he was new to fishing the Potomac and heard all these places being discussed on the forum and decided to put a uh, Google map together with little little pins indicating each place we were speaking of. So uh, that's grown, and members can add to it, and it's a tremendous resource because... Um, I haven't even checked and counted up, but there's probably 100 locations on that map. So if you go to tpfr.org and pull up links, you'll find that map, um, fishing locations map. And that's a great place to start. You can click on each little pinhead, and it'll tell you whether there's parking, whether there's waiting, whether there's uh, what, what there is to expect. And, I mean, all I can do then is suggest that people explore some of them, go out and fish and, and, and throw your flies in the water. Uh, beyond that, there are some terrific maps from GMCO. Uh, of the tidal Potomac, and and my favorite is the uh, uh, the one that covers from D.C. to the 301 bridge, and it is a plastic map, so it will last for many years and not get wet, or if it gets wet, it doesn't matter. Um, that's a great map because that is a map that shows depths and underwater structure and things like that. Those are available at a variety of marine shops, and even over at the uh, I believe the Urban Angler carries them. So you can, any place you can find those maps, uh, get them, get two of them, and study them. Because I'm all about telling people where to go fishing, but at the same time, when you start looking over those maps and um, you realize where their drop-offs are and where places that, that concentrate some of these currents are, it's just a never-ending uh, uh, adventure to go out and explore a new place. And just because it's a densely populated area with 5.3 million-some people in it, doesn't mean you can't go out and fish brand new water that you've never fished before. Uh, so there's a, there's always the adventure of new water available here. It's just a matter of looking on the map, picking a place, and going. So 
What was that eureka moment that made you decide to promote this section of the river? Um, is underfished, western characteristics, metro access? Do people need a car to fish the Potomac? Um, for, the, for those that live in the city and, and don't have transportation? I think that there was there were several things that, that came together at once. The very first reason behind drawing attention to fishing out here was, was as I stated earlier, that, that it just seemed the most common problem local fly anglers seem to have about uh, as far as fly fishing goes was not having enough time and it, it just instantly occurred to me what why not fish 10 minutes away and 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 how many people are sitting in their car in traffic going over the bridge every day or whichever bridge they go across looking down at, at a prime piece of water and, and, and lamenting the amount that they don't have any time. And I'm thinking, you know, depending on where your office is or where you go to work or, or, or what I always say is if you have come, time to come by and talk to me and have a cup of coffee, you've got time to go fish. And so that was like sort of the main, the main eureka moment, if you will, was just that, was just that people had not uh, in general considered it a viable fly rod fishery. And, and as we've learned over the years that if, um, if you can fish in a place, you can fly fish in it, which is the reason why people are targeting sailfish and marlin and tuna and all sorts of things with fly rods. So, I mean, really, there aren't any boundaries anymore. Um, so it really just became a matter of turning people onto the idea that you could and then uh, helping them with some of the casting uh, challenges and some of the um, tackle challenges of how to go out and fish the river more productively. Beyond that, um, the Federation of Fly Fishers, uh, when I had newly joined, um, I, one of the first magazines I got had a piece on the Potomac River, and it was named the Federation of Fly Fishers Threatened Fishery of the Year back in 2008, and um, uh, there was kind of a, a dead end as far as what you wanted to do more if you wanted to get involved, because there really was not a, a Federation of Fly Fishers club or a fly fishing club focused on this part of the river, so there wasn't any place to go and, and plug in, so, that, so I had the idea to go ahead and create that, and then... Um, uh, beyond that, uh, as far as as far as the um, reasoning behind behind fishing out here, uh, well, like I said, um, it's it's right here where people live and work every day. And so, do you need a car? You asked. Well, I don't think you need a car because there's several metro accessible places. If you're willing to walk a little bit, you can get to the tidal basin. You can get to Roach's Run. You can get to uh, the marina over by Pentagon, and from there you can. Um, uh, you know, if you're downtown in D.C. from Georgetown, you can get across to Roosevelt Island, or you can uh, get up and down the CNO Canal or up to Rock Creek. There's so many places to fish um, where no, you actually don't need a car. A car is helpful, but um, even some of the further off places where I wouldn't necessarily walk or, or ride to, um, maybe up to Fletcher's or so, you can easily take a cab. So, so you can fish all over this place without a car, um, and that's that's been. Uh, good news to a lot of people that just didn't realize they did have time to fish they just had to had to fish closer to home all right let's move on to the fourth to final section of the interview which is two-handed rods two-handed rods seem to be a big focus for this section of the river why is that well um two-handed rods uh for a brief history they were they were developed over in um, some of the scottish salmon rivers uh, where the rivers were large and there was not a lot of space to make a back cast and it was found that with longer rods and when they became a certain length it required two hands to um, to operate them. But with a longer rod you could you could pick up more line from a downstream position and get it back across the river uh, without need for an aerialized overhead back cast. And so a very, like a, a series of casts were developed with it and, um, and the rods got longer and longer and then kind of uh, stabilized and and now we're using kind of shorter and shorter two-hand rods. But um, but anyhow, the 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 simple fact and the reason I go into that is because the components that were necessary for for their inception was big river and lack of space to make a back cast. And we have exactly that situation here. So while we might not have Atlantic salmon swimming up the river, that doesn't that doesn't matter. It still has the characteristics for which the two-handed rod was developed. And a lot of us have been um, figuring out that, that it's it's an ideal tool to fish a lot of stretches of this river from shore. So would you say a two-handed rod is a benefit or a necessity? I'd say it's a benefit because I fished for a lot of years out here with single-hand rods. And, and so 
and a lot of our members do as well. I, I, I think still the two-handed fishermen are in the minority in the group at large. So by all means, if you have a single-hand rod, uh, you can get out there and productively fish many spots of the Potomac. Uh, as far as the benefit goes, though, um, the benefit is really to the shorebound angler. And so if uh, by that I mean if you don't have a boat, or if you have a boat but don't have time to go launch the boat, and you want to go and put in an hour or two in a productive spot of the river, um, the two-handed rod will, will really greatly increase the areas and the, and the uh, part of, parts of the river you can, you can cover well. And a lot of times people are focused in on just the distance aspect of two-handed rods, and by all means you can, you can cast further with them, but, but beyond that what's, what's important is the fact that you can cast at normal fishable distances much easier and, and uh, control your line once it's on the water. And we'll talk about some more benefits, uh, I think, just shortly. Is there a learning curve? I know that's part of the little get-togethers we have on Saturday mornings at Fletcher's to work on our two-handed rod casting. Um, what should people expect when they're trying to, to learn the two-handed casts? Well, yeah, there, there's definitely a learning curve because, like anything, if you've been doing something a certain way for a long time, you, you develop some muscle memory and you develop some uh, just kind of built-in rhythms and motions of what you expect a fly rod and a fly cast to be like. Um, so the, the first part of the learning curve is that now, now you have two hands on the rod and you want to use them both. So um, uh, we generally see people initially kind of holding that two-handed rod really close to the reel with their upper hand, and, and that doesn't give them the advantage of the of the lever or fulcrum aspect of having two hands on the rod. And then also a, um, a, a lack of using the bottom hand to push and pull on. And so really a two-handed rod is a, is, is a very efficient lever, and in order to use it as a lever, you need to push and pull with your bottom hand, and so that's usually one of the first things we need to work on is getting that, getting that bottom hand working and, and getting some of the workload off the top hand and um, beyond that, uh, on, on, a, on a spay day or a spay gathering that we have out on the river, in, in general, in a short period of time, we can, we, can, we can teach a good number of people some of the basic spay casts. And uh, uh, we really, really enjoy getting out there and, and teaching spay casting, watching it come together, and watching the number of two-handed rods and spay casting techniques just grow and grow um, as this club grows. What sort of rods do people need to fish this section? Two I mean, if you're going to recommend a two-handed rod, length and weight or a single handed rod length and weight uh by all means um if if there's an ideal rod to fish the potomac and if you had to have one rod to do it then then i would always suggest a nine foot eight weight rod single hand and the reason for that is because you can use it just about anywhere in the world so um rather than getting so highly specialized to just this river if you're lacking anything but a trout rod then then the next move i think is to get a nine foot eight weight that you can take everywhere um, beyond that, as far as once we get into the two-handed realm, there's a lot of opinions about this. I'm firmly set in the fact that I like longer rods because it's a big river. And the reality is when you're standing on the side of a big river, uh, a 14-foot rod, even a 15-foot rod doesn't seem very long anymore. Um, that said, I think that it's tough to go wrong with a, with a two-handed rod from any reputable make uh, or manufacturer. In the 13 to, I'll go as far as to say 15 a 13 to 15 foot range that's going to balance with a 7 weight to a 9 weight line, even a 10 weight. And and line weights designations for two hand rods are way different than single hand rods. That's where uh, for any uh, any more specialized information as far as how to figure that stuff out, consult the the uh, forum where we've discussed it a lot, or post a question there, or drop by one of the area shops and um, and ask away because that's what we're here for. What about reels? What kind of reels should someone have? Uh, well, the reel is important with the two-handed rod in that it balances the rod well. And so, so it's not really about having, um, you know, a million yards of backing because you probably won't use all of that. So, so I try to keep my rods as light as possible um, as far as, uh, or I should say, as light as will balance the rod. And what we're talking about with two-handed rods is um, the, the balance is less about the casting because the casting is done with two hands and... and and so, so the cantilever effect of the reel is somewhat negated, but uh, where it becomes really important is once you make the cast and now you're holding the rod while you're fishing with it, and you want that reel to counterbalance the, the, the rod's weight, as in you don't want to actually be exerting yourself in even, even a little bit to hold that tip of that rod up. You'd like to be able to hold the rod comfortably in your hand and have the reel uh, balanced 
perfectly the the uh, weight of the rod up front, and that way you're you're not doing work all day long just to hold the rod tip up. So balance is important. We're always happy uh, at any of the shops to hang a reel on your rod and, and see what balance works for you. But um, as far as that goes, I mean, you can get by with very little as far as a reel goes. I, I always, I'm still in favor of people fishing with whatever they've got. Um, sometimes people think that, well, they've got to wait until they get certain tackle to go out and fish. And I mean, I, I came into this sport with $40 and bought the cheapest gear possible. I couldn't even afford a real Fluger medalist. I had a copy, South Bend finalist, so it wasn't even a real medalist. But I got started and, and I practiced casting a lot and I fished a lot. And, um, and so, you know, if it holds line and it stays together, and it's got any kind of either perceptible drag at all or something that you can control with the with a, the palm of your hand, hey, go out and fish with it. Other than that, I like my reels to be uh, good disc drag reels, large arbor, and um, things that I know I'm going to use in salt water. So, so really the better quality, um, say uh, always reels are good to buy the best you can because uh, they'll usually outlast your rods. And let's talk about lines to put on those rods. Specific lines uh, people might need for different seasons. And when you get into the two-handed rods, you get a lot of specialty lines that have the term grain associated with them. If you could also note on the grain. Sure. All right. Uh, well, as far as lines go, um, it's tough to fish the Potomac year-round without some kind of a sinking line or a sink tip. So um, that's a necessary part of the tackle. Um, and I, I say a singing line or a sink tip. If you've got a single hand rod uh, in the in the six to eight weight class, then then you really will benefit by having a full sink line for that rod. The times of year that you're going to use that uh, full sink line are especially when the shad run gets started, and uh, and in a lot of the striper fishing that follows suit, and throughout the um, throughout the year targeting targeting some of these fish in some of the stronger tidal currents. So full singing line is almost um, uh, a necessity out here. Uh, sink tips should be in the neighborhood of 15 feet long. So multi-tip lines work great. I'm, I'm a strong believer in multi-tip lines for the river because since it's tidal and since the depth and speed of current and even direction of current in some places is always varying, rather than carrying around a bunch of different reels and spools with a bunch of different lines, I can go out with a single hand line or one of my spay lines with a, with a wallet full of different tips. And, and fish pretty well and productively in a lot of different situations. So I, I very much like multi-tip lines um, or sink tips of the 15-foot variety or full sink lines. Floating lines are always a standard in fly fishing and always something you want to have, especially for a lot of the bass fishing in the tributaries and uh, along the grass mats through the river. You definitely cannot uh, uh, dispose of your floating line for those things. So. I'd say if you had to have two lines, a floating line and a full sink, if you wanted to get pretty diverse, then, then a multi-tip line is wonderful because uh, that's a very very versatile line. And um, beyond that, there's a lot of use for, for a lot of lines. When you get into two-hand rods, that's a different story altogether. And um, there's a lot of specialized lines that, that favor different types of casting. I firmly settled on fishing this river with the Skagit line. Um, Skagit is a very short, heavy uh, very heavy short bellied line and on that short bellied line you attach different sink tips and really for the type of fishing that I do out here and the type of situations I find myself in most often which is a uh, very restricted space for a back cast and a lot of river in front of me and a lot of um, pretty heavy currents the Skagit has just performed the best for me. There are different styles of, of spay lines and that's that's maybe a whole another podcast in and of itself i'd love to go into detail on but um but even the short-bellied multi-tip lines are great or the um uh shooting head type lines with um variety of different sinking leaders work well as far as grains go grains gets confusing but um really it's just the unit of measure that's been used since there's been a fly line standard and um a lot of times once you break outside of the single hand rods and get into two hand rods you start looking at uh, things being discussed as grain windows and uh, really that has to do with a unit of measure that describes the the weight the physical weight of the line itself and the higher that number of grains gets the heavier the line is and a lot of two-handed rods are very well specced out with a wide grain window and that just means that that lines between uh, X amount of grain weight and uh, and a higher grain weight are, are um, all usable 
So one of the best things you can do if you get into two-hand rods is uh, to, to simplify the learning processes, get down to one of our little spay events on the river where we have a wide variety of spay lines and um, a lot of people that are pretty obsessed about them where you can try different lines on your rod or try different rods and line combinations and that's the best way to go but um, uh, but looking at the grain windows on two-hand lines you'll see right away that they're much much heavier than single-hand lines are. Alright and uh, of course we can't catch fish without flies. This has been a recent topic of what everyone on the board has been tying. You just talk briefly about some of the flies you'd recommend for this section? Sure. Uh, if I had have one fly for the Potomac, it would be a Clouser minnow in a, in a contrasting color. I like, uh, I like olive over white, but chartreuse and white, olive and white, uh, blue-gray and white, whatever, whatever color combination you like uh, in a size 2 Clouser can be cast on most tackle from 6 weights and up, and, uh, uh, or I should say cast well on, that, on, on those size rods. People can do much more with much less but um but anyhow a, a number two clouser will just imitate a wide variety of bait fish that are available out here if you want to go on from that then then clouser minnows in uh in a in a wide range of sizes uh deceivers um other bait fish patterns like i use a lot of surf candies out here for some of the narrow uh narrow bodied bait fish um and poppers crease flies top water things uh, hair bugs for your bass, but uh, in in general, I mean, I could go. I probably get carried away listing out a lot of different flies, but I would say um, your basic generic bait fish patterns in a few different sizes will do very well, go a long way, and um, really that's all you need to fish out here. Beyond that, though, most of us tie flies, and when you tie flies, that gets boring. So you want to constantly be trying different patterns and and inventing things and playing with stuff because that's part of the fun. So so the sky's the limit. But just think bait fish patterns and uh, uh, popping bugs for topwater. Any final words of wisdom for listeners about the tidal Potomac in the club? Uh, yeah, just I say get out and fish. I mean, it's uh, the river's right there. You probably go past it uh, a number of times every week, or you live right by it, or you work right by it. And some people have these dyed-in-the-wool ideas that oh, I'm just a trout guy or I'd rather get away from the city and fish and that's all valid and that's all fair but the reality is if you go out and fish this river you might gain a new perspective right away and even if you don't fall in love with the fishing out here what you'll find right away is that you are fishing more often and when you can get away to your preferred destination whether that's a big western river or whether that's a small stream somewhere uh, your casting is more polished your uh, abilities are more honed because you've been using them in fishing. So you're not waiting for that annual trip. You're fishing more often and fishing better because of it. And besides the fact, it's pretty fun when you build a, um, a fishing club in an area as diverse as this, as far as where people come from, you'll find that this club is full of people from all over the country. So just getting involved in the group, you'll, you'll find people uh, from your favorite stomping grounds that, that fish a lot of the rivers you probably fish. And it's just it's just been a great great joy to watch the club take off and to watch uh, people get to know each other and I know that I've met some some wonderful people and made some great friends I wouldn't have without it so um so I'd say uh grab your rod whatever it is and and go out and fish and and um uh we'll be here as uh as the local club to answer whatever questions we possibly can and to to help you along your way all right well Dan I thank you for your time and to learn more go to robsnowwhite.com and on the left hand side click on the podcast link Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you, Rob.